Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. 630 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio. 630 Chad. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second hour of Oilers Now. Brian Lawton, by the way, joined us in the opening hour of the show, and he is our Oilers Now headliner for touchback safety. Touchback safety when it's Time for safety training. Trust the experts at touchbacksafety.com. Your safety is their goal. Each hour of Oilers Now is presented by Digitex, who wish you and yours all the best during these challenging and uncertain times. Digitex.ca is Alberta's number one owned and operated place to buy office technology and software. Off to the River Cree Resort and Casino Hotline. Joined each Wednesday in this slot by David Staples from the Cult of Hockey, a uh, prominent writer on a multitude of fronts with the uh, Post Media Group. Hello, David. How are you doing? Hey, Bob. I'm doing good today. How are you? <laughs> good. We are, we are going to talk mostly about hockey. Uh, you get anybody upset these days? On uh, For the listeners that are unaware, David uh, covers COVID on a day-to-day basis for Post Media and writes a little about uh, election coverage as well. It's a very interesting time, isn't it? And, and I'm going to translate this into something here, David, is we have people perhaps to the far left and far right that really like their opinions on things. And then we have a large segment of the population that's probably somewhere in the middle. But the one thing I will say is sometimes you need something to happen in your lives to put things a bit in perspective. And I think we saw that uh, with the passing of Joey Moss and just how, you know, the, the entire community, regardless of what your political or philosophical views on life are, there, there, there was certainly a celebration of life with Joey. It was really cool, wasn't it? It really was. And, um, you know, people just sharing stories about Joey Moss. And I think the story, uh, my wife doesn't follow hockey that much, but she came home and told me the story of um, Wayne Gretzky. And you guys probably had this on your show of Wayne seeing Joey going off to his job at a laundromat, whether it was 40 below or not, and waiting for the bus. And Wayne just realizing that uh, here's someone that, you know, so dedicated. Here's someone that we should hire for the Oilers. You know, maybe see if we can get him a job there. And, that, and just such a moving story. And I think that you know, for a long time, 
society didn't do very well by people who were disabled and handicapped and now that's changed and uh so so the and there's a notion i think like we all feel we can feel good about that that we're doing a lot better but i think what joey reminds us is is someone with down syndrome he, he wasn't we weren't doing it for him he was doing it for us he was an example uh, for everybody on uh, taking working hard and sticking with it and being dedicated and showing passion for your work and um i think that's really hit home with everybody in the last couple in the last day yeah, well, we're going to have Louie and, and George on tomorrow, and I'm sure they're going to relay similar stories. But uh, just, you know, we had Wayne and Kevin on yesterday. And just It was just great hearing. And, and for me, the biggest thing is just the positive energy. It, 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 I mean, it's sad that Joey's passed away, but it is a celebration of life and just the positive energy uh, that was out there because we are in really unique times. I mean, these are challenging and uncertain times. You know, you can sit there and, uh, you know, I watch the news every morning at 9, 9 o'clock, 9.30, and I'm just sort of, I, at times, I'm, wow. You know what I mean? And at other times, I'm like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. And, you know, I follow a, a, a really group of diverse people on Twitter. I don't tweet about a diverse group of topics. But it is a very politicized time. And, again, sometimes I think we all need to be grounded a little bit. And I think that kind of occurred here. So that is a wonderful thing. Do you have more fun doing your hockey Twitter account or your political Twitter account? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bob, it's never been harder to talk about politics. And especially, like, I'm a, you know, I'm kind of, I see myself as kind of right of center, not right wing, but right of center. So so for people with, with those, with kind of right of center views, it, it's a very difficult time. You know, it's, it's interesting on Twitter because I think in the past, there's all kinds of people who strongly disagreed with uh, my viewpoint, and I might have strongly disagreed with them, but I would hear from them, you know, once a month. They might call in to the journal, or they might write a letter to the editor. Today, in the modern world, we're all in each other's faces all the time. You go on Twitter, and you'll see 15 views within one minute that you absolutely disagree with and can't stand hearing and don't want to read. And the person who disagrees with me will see the same thing. Fifteen girls that just enrage them. So Twitter, what Twitter has done is brought us all together in a way that we weren't before. We're just so much more aware of each other's views that we don't agree with. And I think this is causing everybody a lot of stress. And I have no solution for that. But that's the dynamic that I see. We're just so much more aware of what the other side is thinking. And that just riles us all up all the time. And unfortunately, it's tied back into you know major professional sport and where it's tied up because there's political discussions and you know you trust science versus you know how do you sort of balance uh how brutally the economy has been hit versus the science of covid so it's it's a it's a really sort of interesting area to sort of traipse ourselves into i would say this about twitter like it just i don't mean to sound pollyanna mr positive here but I do think that Twitter has taken us considerably down a negative path that maybe we didn't have before. You know what I mean? Like, And that was one of the good things, seeing what we saw out of Joey over the last three or four days, was how much 
you know how many sort of positive stories about Joey were out there, and and we can all rejoice in that here at Edmonton. Say, hey, the Oilers did something, and and w- led by Wayne Gretzky. I know Wayne tried to defer it and talk about Glenn Sather being open to to having Joey in the room, but Wayne drove it, and he was the best player in the world at that time. And when the best player in the world makes a suggestion, you're going to do it. Uh, but the Oilers were, incl- you know, the Oilers were ahead of their time, being inclusive in the in the mid 1980s, and it resulted in a guy becoming an Edmonton sporting icon yeah it's it's a it's a quite a remarkable story and it's touched people not just in edmonton but around north america you know the thing about twitter is that it enables people to to form mobs and it could just be a small mob but if you have like a a hundred or a you know 500 fanatics who believe in an idea they can do they can gang up on people and that's what you see on twitter so it's a tough place to be and uh perhaps if i wasn't uh a journalist for a living, I wouldn't be there at all. Um, that thought is starting to occur to me that, well, you know, one day it'll be nice not to be on Twitter at all. So, All, all right. Let's, <laughs> let's get to some other specific topics. Uh, Frank Cervelli is uh, a, a highly credible source uh, and a rising star. He's with TSN, and I know that he has been a guy that has been uh, critical of the fact that, uh, you know, the Oilers failed by not getting themselves the number one goalie. Do you agree or disagree with that, David? I'm kind of. I think it's a fair comment on Frank's part. So I'm kind of on the fence because Frank Frank was arguing like the Oilers. The only reason they lost in the playoffs was because of goaltending. Was Frank's point, and because Ken Holland uh, didn't address that um, significantly in the off season, he he didn't get the job done. So I don't agree with Frank that that's the only reason the Oilers lost in the playoffs. I think there's all kinds of things that we've gone over in the past about why they lost uh, in the playoffs. There's five, six, seven things, but. I think it's a fair comment. You know, the goaltending, I think the, you know, what the line was, was the Oilers need to address their goaltending. That seemed like the number one priority going into the offseason was addressing that. And I don't think, and I think that was actually the Oilers' intention. It looked like they were going for Jacob Markstrom in a big way, and they didn't get it done. I think that most Oilers fans would say that the Oilers were right not to outbid Calgary, go over $6 million a year for Markstrom. And that as a as a strong second best, can like so. Let's say that would have been the grand slam home run to get a really good goalie at four million, five million dollars a year. He couldn't do that. I think that not getting that done. What the Oilers did instead, Ken Holland, I you know, with the money he had, and this is a point Brian Burke has made and Brian Lawton, with the money Holland had, Rob, I see a home run, an absolute home run for what Ken Holland did. And even though he didn't address that number one goalie need, the things he did, it's pretty remarkable. He addressed every single need on the on the team, plus Yessa Pugliarvi, kind of the cherry on top. Yeah, uh, I'll just throw this out there for the listeners, and I'd like to get what they think on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. You can text us at 780-496-0063. So let's take Markstrom out of the – because the owners were going to have to go seven years at five on Markstrom to fit him in, and he went six times six to Calgary. Yeah. Uh, so – the, the the two goaltenders that got the two highest deals afterwards were Crawford, two years at 3.9, and Grice, two years at 3.6. Would you rather have one of those two guys and not have Tyson Berry or have Tyson Berry and then Mike Smith at a price point where maybe you could potentially look at doing something during the season because Smith's only at a million and a half dollars base if – you know, Smith can't get back to the like. I'd, I'd kind of like to know what people think because, to me, 
Crawford at two years at 3.9. Thomas Grice, I, I'd be leery of Grice because he's with the Islanders, and wherever Barry Trotz goes, goalies' numbers get better, and then once those goalies leave, they're not quite the same or once Trotz leaves. But I want to know what the listeners think. What do you think? You tell us. Text us at 780-496-0063. Would you rather have Crawford or Grice and not have Barry and Smith? Because that's really kind of what it came down to, David, at the end of the day. And I love the decision that Holland made, frankly, because I think that, you know, the, the Oilers really had, with Clefbaum out, the Oilers had a huge need in the top four to fill in uh, a strong player there. And they got that in Tyson Burr. I would pick, you know, Crawford's uh, 35, and uh, that's old for a goalie. So, you know, going two years for that amount of money when you can have Tyson Berry on one year, I just think that that was a really easy choice. Uh, for Ken Holland to make. And then the bet that the, he did make in net was also kind of sophisticated because he's both bringing back Smith, who's a key cog in terms of the, the, you know, the spirit of the team and, and had his moments last year when he was a very good player. But he also brings in Anton Forsberg, who is a veteran and successful minor league goalie who is as good as a bet as Smith to be a decent NHL goalie next year. I think, you know, if, if you want a goalie, let's say, who has a 9 905 to 910 save percentages in a kind of a backup role, Forsberg is a pretty good bet to be that goalie for the Oilers. He's got NHL experience. He's been an excellent goalie in the AHL. So I think Holland has kind of done as well as he could. He, he, didn't, he couldn't bid high enough. He shouldn't have been high enough for Markstrom. Uh, failing that, um, he did very well to hold off on the, the second bets who are going to be too expensive and go with Forsberg and Smith. All right, uh, David Staples, call to Hockey Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers now. Caleb Jones, I'm bullish on him. David, what about you? Well, we've, you know, we both are in the Caleb Jones camp in terms of being bullish. You know, the interesting thing, Bob, I wonder where he is going to play because I've been thinking all along he's going to be with Adam Larson on the second pairing, you know, like the, the classic puck mover and defensive D-man, and then you'll have that replicated with, um, with uh, Tyson Berry and Chris Russell. But I wonder, like I was talking to Bruce McCurdy uh, at, also at the Cult of Hockey earlier today, and he was putting forward the idea of Jones and Barry kind of on a super puck-moving um, unit, putting them with uh, you know, the dry subtle line and with McDavid line, and then having Larson and Russell together. And that, uh, it, it, there's a number of different options, and we'll probably see all of them. But the thought of Jones and Barry together on a puck-moving uh, tandem, that's very enticing. Because j- just imagine if you had that, that dry subtle line with Yamamoto and Nugent Hopkins, plus Barry, plus Jones out there in the offensive end, that could create a lot of goals. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, Ethan Bear had the big step forward last year for the Oilers. Uh, when we get back playing, I think Caleb Jones is going to be a real intriguing guy to watch. He's got natural athleticism. Uh, he's continuously improved. He's a quantum leap ahead of where he was in his rookie pro season. There's something there. And uh, to me, he's one of the most intriguing young Oilers players to watch. Dave, how uh, I read some numbers today. You know, Bouchard, Broberg, Samarukov, all playing over, and those are the Oilers' top three defensive prospects. Not necessarily in that order. Are we at a different place right now with the Oilers' prospect depth on the blue line than in past uh, Oilers uh, years? Well, can you remember when we've ever had um, three prospects like Broberg, Bouchard, and Samarukov all at the same time? Because Samarukov leads KHL defenseman in plus minus right now. I think in 19 games, he's been on the ice for 17 goals, four, and four goals against. So on-ice stats can be misleading, but that's pretty, that's pretty standing out there as being uh, 
indicative of someone who's getting who's part of a unit who's really really getting the job done he's and as you pointed out recently he he played the most ice uh, got the most ice time on his right. really good uh Seska team for the last five games Samarukov was an outstanding junior player so there's these three guys that i'm trying to go back and remember like when was the last time the orders had three prospects like that and i have to go bob i have to go back all the way to the early 1980s to think of a time when we when Edmonton had three guys not on the team. Uh, who, uh, sorry, who was it back then? Well, I, I'll go with and some of these guys were on the team because Kevin Lowe made the team right away. But if you go, so if if I go back to Kevin Lowe, Charlie Huddy, um, Risto Silton, and and um, Paul, Paul Coffey. Co- All right, that's, so you're going you're going at players. Yeah, it's eighty eighty one season because Coffey was in the eighty draft, went six overall yeah. that year. Kevin was in the seventy ninth draft and went twenty first. How do you how do you sort of arrived halfway? Was it halfway through eighty eight? Yeah, but did he was he he came sort of up part of the way through the season, and Silton was an under like he was an underrated player. Uh, I don't think most of our listeners realize how unique of a defenseman for that time Risto Silton was. He was my favorite oiler, honestly. At the, you know, those early out of the WHA, like the, he was the you know before Gretzky hit the team. I think Silton got there before Gretzky, if I'm not mistaken. At least Silton was my favorite defenseman. He was he was uniquely talented. His skating ability was unreal, and he had a hell of a shot. Didn't always get it on net in the end, and his, maybe his hockey sense wasn't as great as I had hoped it was. But he he scored uh, 60 points, more than 60 points one year for the Edmonton Oilers. He was he's the only he's the uh, there's only two defensemen who've ever done that. The Oilers, Paul Coffey and Risto Silton, and he was absolutely uh, a fantastic young player at that time. So, and I can't think. I'm, I'm trying to think. Maybe is there a time in the late '90s when they had like all these prospects like Ninema and Pody and Brewer, but uh, you know, Hammerlick. Like there was some. There was some years Boris Mironov where they did have a lot of good young defensemen. But I think this group is just exceptional, and we might be on the verge of something pretty special. Fingers crossed. Just regarding uh, Charlie Huddy, uh, joined the Oilers during the course of the 80-81 season, played most that year with the Wichita win, so he came up late in the year. Uh, and then in 81-82, sort of was halftime uh, between Wichita and Edmonton. So that was the year that the Oilers, you know, took a quantum step forward and won the uh, Smite division at that time with a record of 48-17-15. and Coffee had 89 points that season. Silton had 63. And a guy named Wayne had uh, 92 goals. That's not forget dave in uh the first year that i did the color of the games uh, which was 0809 the orders had four defensemen 30 plus points and yeah. i was part of the reason why that team was as competitive as it was and let's not forget that uh lubomir Viznovsky was hurt for a lot of that season it's it's funny because uh surrey had the 23 goal 53 point campaign that year that was mac t's last year's head coach um gilbert had 45 points but dennis grubishkov had like 39 points and was like plus 12 or 13 and really had the puck do the work. Like, I thought if they could keep that top four together, of course, Surrey got hurt the next season in a fight with Jerome McGinley, was never really the same, and the relationship soured. Grebeshkov's game tanked halfway through the year. He was traded to Nashville. Um, but they they looked like they had a good defense that could move it, and they haven't had that sort of transition D for a while. I mean, they had Dave. They had two good transition defensemen in the sixteen seventeen run because both Clefbaum and Sekra had thirty five plus points. 
you know, we got to see what can happen here with with Nurse and potentially, you know, obviously Barry's going to be an offensive uh, defenseman, but I think they've got a better chance carrying forward here this year, and especially once they start transitioning some of these Bouchard and Broberg in to really get to the place where you're hoping to get to. Just shows you how much injury factors into this because that, that group in 2008-09 really was good with, you know, but Surrey, uh injury, uh, Dennis Grebishkov, injury and then the, the same with 2016-17 uh, Andre Sekera you know just such a huge blow to the Oilers when Sekera got injured and now we have the same thing with Clefbaum which is really alarming the, the only difference is th- there seems to be the depth starting with Jones and Bear who are already with the team and then these other players we've mentioned there seems to be the depth now that they're going to be able to uh, weather this I'm going to throw a stat at you guess what the Charlie Huddy's plus minus was as an Oiler in the in the ten hundred plus no, he's, no plus two hundred and forty one. But he had <laughs> he, he he had three seasons, which is not as good as Larry Robinson's, by the way. But uh, Charlie like did plus have fifty or sixty. He, yeah, he went plus fifty twice, right on the nose, and plus sixty two once. So he had some wow. big his his uh, first. To check out these numbers in his first six full seasons, David has no other. Plus 62, plus 50, plus 50, plus 30, plus 27, plus 23. And he broke the 40-point plateau four times. So he got hurt. Actually, he did it five times. Uh, five times. Six out of seven years, Charlie Huddy was 40-plus points in a secondary offensive role. And he wasn't with Paul Coffey towards the end of it. Dave, how do people follow your stuff so they can yell at you on Twitter? Uh, I'll just give you the hockey stuff where people are a lot kinder these days at D Staples. Okay. Awesome stuff, Dave. Take care. Hang in there, man. There'll be better days. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) That's David Staples from the Cult of Hockey joining us on Oilers Now. Uh, Yeah, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run right into a break here. Bob Stoffer, Brendan Escott with you. Brendan's actually got to step out here. Uh, So Kellen's going to slide in and help us out a little bit. But uh, let's get to the Oilers Now Injury Report brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. I I hear you have some uh, earth-shattering information for us on the injury front, Brendan. Okay, well, when you are asking me who the player is, uh, yeah, maybe we're, we're digging a little deep here, but Kings prospect Tyler Madden did have surgery to address a broken finger. He signed his entry-level contract. He had two good years at Northeastern in the NCAA, and he was sort of the main piece that the Canucks shipped to Los Angeles as part of the package for Tyler to Foley at the trade deadline after they took Madden in the third round back in 2018. Did they get a second or a third rounder in that trade? Because I'm going to argue that was the piece that they liked in the deal more than Tyler Madden. I'm sorry, I'm, I shouldn't do that, but uh, be great prospect for me. I mean, uh, not exa- it's going to be interesting to watch the Kings. Right, they got Quentin Byfield uh, second overall. They've already signed him. Uh, they've signed. What's his? Did they, uh, Brendan? They signed Turcotte as well already, right? They signed him out of Wisconsin, and that's or yeah, Wisconsin. That's going to play a factor for Dylan Holloway, because Dylan Holloway is going to be in Wisconsin as well. Uh, and you can keep texting us at any time at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. This text comes in, Bob. Uh, Risto Silton was a very dynamic defenseman. I agree. Risto was a very dynamic defenseman. Uh, here we go. Uh, Bob, what the Oilers should do is they should get in on Marc-Andre Fleury during the course of the season, especially once Robin Leonard comes back. Um, 
And this texter says, I believe that they'll be selling uh, both Camper and Ranta for cheap, to be honest. Uh, even Corpusello can be had for cheap once owners see the money being doled out in paychecks for the players. On October the 31st, owners will pinch their GMs hard on poor teams. Also, 2021 is a weak draft. Who cares about the 20th overall in a season where you aren't allowed to scout in person? Wow, that's kind of an interesting perspective. I haven't thought of that. Uh, there we go. Okay. Uh, this text comes in from the Chisler out of Vegas. Bob, uh, definitely not uh, Crawford or Grice. They're both overrated. Uh, Flower would be an unbelievable fit for the Oilers. That's from the Chisler in Vegas. Barry was a must, and I loved Risto Siltonen back in the game. Uh, this text goes, hey, Bob, do you see Bear getting a bridge or a longer-term cleft bomb-style extension at this time? If I were a betting man, I, I would think that Ethan Bear would get a bridge. I, I just don't see the Oilers having um, the cap space to, to sign him to a long-term deal yet. Uh, Bob, will Aiden Hill be on waivers right before the start of the season? Uh, hmm. uh, I don't know. guess we'll have to see on Aiden Hill. Interesting. I, I, Arizona's going to do something. At this stage of the game, do we know what Arizona's going to do? I'm not sure. 128 in Edmonton, off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back on Oilers Now, John Shannon. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.